Hey everyone, I need your attention for one minute. This is not one of those ads. This is something that has changed my entire life. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know that this is all about personal development as the foundation for everything good in your life. And this podcast is now sponsored by Growth Day, which is the world's first all-in-one personal development app. I mean, oh my gosh, can you imagine having everything all in one place that you need to create the life that you want? Now you can. So if you've been struggling with your motivation, your mood, your productivity, or your purpose, you have to check this out. Growth Day helps you consciously change your life and achieve your potential. It has all the self-improvement tools, motivational classes, and life coaching all in one place. So many of us want to improve our lives, but the question is how? Where do we start? What do we use? How do you get unstuck? How do you make self-improvement stick? Well, research shows how. It's when you consistently journal, track your habits, set goals, learn from empowering mentors, and challenge yourself that you'll be happier, healthier, and more successful. But let me ask you something. Where do you actually do all of your personal development work? I have to tell you that over 300,000 people use Growth Day for a reason. It works. It's the world's number one software for self-improvement. Growth Day has an amazing mindset journal that I absolutely love, a habit tracker, and a goal-setting system. In fact, I bet if you went to my stories this week, you probably saw me using the journaling app and telling you to do it too, because it's the first time that journaling has ever actually stuck consistently in my life because of this app. And best of all, Growth Day has live inspirational classes every single week from the world's top motivational speakers and life coaches. These are people who have impacted my life in huge ways. These are mentors who I already knew and loved. In fact, this is something that's so huge for me, you guys. I personally teach a class in Growth Day every single month, and it is one of the most fun things that I get to do, and I'd love to see you there. These classes will truly shift your life. There's always something new that you will learn. So join me in 300,000 Achievers Growing Our Lives with actual real intention. Visit growthday.com slash Lori for a free trial. Yes, you can try this for free. So go to growthday.com slash Lori and go live your best life. You guys, that's growthday.com forward slash Lori. And I can't wait to see you there. Welcome to the Earn Your Happy Podcast. I'm Lori Harder, founder of The Bliss Project, three-time fitness world champion, fitness expert, and cover model turned self-love junkie, lifestyle entrepreneur, and author. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a thought that will help you bust through your fears, connect to your soul, and get focused and clear so you can elevate your life, business, and relationships. We don't wait until we're ready for someone to tell us we're good enough. We take what we want and we anoint ourselves. Get ready to earn, own, and unapologetically rock your happiness every single day. Are you with me? Here we go.
Welcome back to the Earn Your Happy Podcast. And today I have Corey Poirier on the show. He is an award-winning keynote speaker and also a best-selling author. He has a radio show called Conversations with Passion. And on top of that, he is a stand-up comedian. So we have a very diverse conversation today. But one of the biggest takeaways for me is on his interviews, he has interviewed 3,500 thought leaders. So what do you learn from 3,500 interviews? Let's get started and find out. Corey, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm really excited and honored that you're here today. Yeah, I'm, I'm honored to be here. And I am, uh, well, passionately, since that's uh, my favorite word, passionately excited to be here today as well. Oh, I like that. All right. So for people who maybe don't know who you are, could you share a little bit about your background, what you do and how you got to the place that you are right now, whatever place that is? (laughs) (laughs) So I guess if I start first with background, I come from a, um, for lack of a better way of saying it, a heavy sales background. Mm. So I spent, well, the better part of I guess probably 10 years in the corporate sales field and world. And that I really credit for a lot of my, I'm going to say a lot of who I am today, because as you probably know, Lori, whenever you're working in a sales capacity with thousands of people over a career, you get to learn a lot about what makes people tick, how to communicate with people and and just sort of what I guess influences and makes the world go round. Mm -hmm. So it's a big part of my background. And then the secondary part would be, I have a, a history in the world of stand-up comedy, and I like to believe that's sort of what kicked off my speaking career and also taught me more about communication than I ever thought I could learn. Uh, so that's sort of, I guess we'll say, my background. And how that evolved is I, after my speaking or my sales career was over, rather, I jumped into the speaking world. Um, I mean, I'm going to say I jumped in full, uh, you know, full speed ahead. And I still, of course, that's still one of my core focuses. But what sort of happened along the way is I started interviewing people and I got really obsessed, you know, I, I let's say, a.k.a. passionate about um, learning what makes people tick, what makes them successful, uh, where they have their hiccups and, and how I could share that with sort of the rest of the world in, uh, let's say, Napoleon Hill. I'll uh, think and grow rich type way. So I've been kind of compared to Napoleon Hill, which I'll take that comparison every day of the week, uh, mainly because you know we, he spent his career doing what I'm now spending my career doing, which is interviewing those what I call enlightened super achievers so that I can share it with other people. Okay, I love all of that. There are so many different places that we could go with this. Um, <laughs> but first of all, stand-up comedy, what... Because I'm guessing that it deals with a lot of the same things as speaking, obviously. So were there a lot of fears when you first jumped into that? Just like if someone was really going to jump into speaking, how did you feel? How did you confront that? Uh, Yeah, I was was absolutely terrified. And and in fact, the route that I, you know, if you look at it, that stand-up comedy was the first part of my jump into the speaking world. The route I went, I would never recommend to my biggest enemy or my biggest friend. And what was Um, that? (laughs) So, well, what happened is I had a a stage play in a fringe festival where I was acting in the play. I I had directed, I wrote the play and was directing it, but I was terrified of being on the stage. So what happened was I, we needed another actor for the play. 
And I was so terrified of being in front of the audience. What I did was I actually wrote a part in the play that would see me with my back to the audience rather than facing them. And so I was facing the actors. So that was my level of comfort, first of all. And at the end of a seven-day run, one of the actors asked me, hey, I heard about this workshop at a local university in stand-up comedy. How would you like to give it a go? And you know, I said, that, that sounds terrifying. I'm in. <laughs> Yep. And I'm a believer, Lori, that if you're going to face a fear, you need, need to face the head on. So I also know that I can attend a workshop like a boss, for lack of a better way of saying it. You know, attending a workshop doesn't mean you're ever going to get on a stage. Mm-hmm. So uh, even though it was a little bit nerve wracking, I was like, well, I go to the workshop. If I if I never jump on the stage, nobody will ever know, <laughs> you know, that I was planning to. So I went to a two week workshop in that workshop. Now, they say the number one fear in the world above death is public speaking and stand up comedies in my opinion, way above that. And the reason they don't say it's the number one fear is because so few people will ever try it Mm -hmm. that they don't even bother rating it. And so you want probably a lot of training whenever you're going to be tackling something few people will ever do. Well, the training in that two-week workshop was here's how you adjust the mic stand and Dane Cook rules. (laughs) So the person that got us into this mess, he basically was a fan of Dane Cook, so he just said Dane Cook rules and talked a lot about him and then said here's how you adjust the mic stand. And so that was our first training. And then week three, so going to the point of, you know, what did I feel? I jumped on the stage. Week three, uh, we got to the club. We were, we were excited. I was excited because we were told people were going to entertain us. So I was like, well, now I'm going to get to see way more and learn way more than I did in this first two weeks because I'm going to watch people on the stage and we're going to kind of critique it uh, afterward or what have you. But we found out about five minutes of showtime that we were the comics. Oh, my gosh. That's- he was booking for the night. And uh, and I, I know now that he didn't tell us because we would have all left. Mm-hmm. But what happened was, meaning in advance, but what happened was when he told us about five minutes at eight o'clock, which was showtime, I went into the bathroom to look for the exit window. <laughs> and there was no exit window. So, you know, I guess uh, sucks to be me. I came back out and there were 15 of us that showed up from that workshop. And when I showed back up out of the bathroom, uh, I think it was eight were gone. So... There was me and six left. And I, I always envied those. Well, I should say I envied those other eight. I first got out of the bathroom probably for the next hour because they were smart enough to just walk at the door. Whereas I went to the bathroom and, of course, then I had failed my, my one plan. So I just said, well, now I'm here. And so at about 10 after eight, we were still debating who's going up first because nobody wanted to be that sacrificial lamb. So I jumped up on the stage because I had been to one Toastmasters meeting and I learned that you're better to go up first than last and watch other people go up and have nervousness before you. So I said, well, this is probably the worst fear I'll ever have, so let's do it and get it done with. And I jumped up, and I grabbed the mic, and I told what I thought was the best joke that I ever told in my life to dead silence. Um, I thought, well, you know, I, the sweat started coming down, and I thought, this is terrifying, but I'm already up here. So I jumped into the second best joke. Again, dead silence. And finally, the guy that got us into this mess, he called me over to the side of the stage, and he hit me in the back of the head, and he said, you idiot, we haven't even turned the mic on yet. <laughs> So to answer your question, which that was a long answer, um, and as you can tell, I've shared that story before, but <laughs> truth is, is that I was terrified and I probably had no business jumping up on that stage, but it was probably the smartest thing I ever did in my life because it really opened the door to what my passion is today, the speaking. It probably opened the door for me to be able to interview some of the high achievers that I would have been terrified to interview otherwise. So as I always say, the, our biggest fear is just outside our comfort zone. And that was way outside of my comfort zone to get on that stage. But by doing it and surviving taught me a you know massive lesson and built my confidence in a, in a major way. 
So was it comfortable? No. Uh, was it easy? No. But that's how I fell onto the stage. It was basically uh, going to this workshop, being terrified, uh, finding out we were comics when I when I had no material, and just going through with it anyway and not dying in the process. Oh my gosh. I, I love that story because the key thing that you just said for me was doing it and surviving. And that is all that you need in the beginning is I think so many people think they're supposed to take action and be successful when really that's pretty much what I I can sit here and think of so many stories that are really similar to that, where I was like, wow, if I would have even known what I was getting myself into, I would have never showed up, (laughs) but just leaping, like putting yourself in these places where massive growth is going to happen, right? So the more fear you have around it, the more opportunity we have for growth. So that's amazing. I can't even imagine how you felt after that. Like, okay, I survived. I did it. Everything from here can't be that much worse than this. And it still wasn't that bad looking back. So that's amazing. So you, I looked at your, um, you know, everything that you had sent over and, and went on your website and scoured everything. And you are so interesting to me because not only because of who you are, but also because you have done 3,500 interviews with influential people. I can't even imagine what, what was that like? How long have you been interviewing people? So, you know, if I'm going to say this is, I guess we'll say randomly picking a date, but I mean a month, a year, if I was to go back and say when I probably did my first interview ever with a, let's say a business leader, it was probably 1996. Mm -hmm. So that puts it at 20 years ago. And then what happened was I did a number of interviews for a business publication I had. And how would you define, or how you would define the publication to explain it to somebody is it was like a newspaper version of success magazine Mm. in a very regional basis. So I, I launched this regional business publication, ran it for a year. And just in that first year, probably did because we averaged about 30 to 40 interviews minimum a month for the issue or for the publication. And my first year, I probably did 400 interviews when I was 19. But then I kind of disappeared from that sort of interview world for a number of years. And then when I jumped back into it, what happened was fast forward a bunch of years later, and I realized I'd never closed the door properly on that publication. And I wasn't happy with how I closed the door. So I launched a new version of the same thing. And what happened was I was able to do a massive, massive amount of interviews in a, well, I'm going to say a short amount of time because the publication would allow me to do anywhere from, let's say 50 interviews to 75 interviews in a month. And we were, I ran the publication for probably, it was monthly, probably 75 issues. So you can start to see where the numbers started adding up. And then I started doing interviews for online video show and my own radio show slash podcast. And it just kind of amassed from there. So, you know, and now, I mean, I still, I've cut the last two weeks I've been trailing, but normally I'm probably averaging on a normal day, three to four interviews a day still, even in spite of travel schedule, speaking regularly, all the rest. So it just kind of hasn't slowed down from there, but yeah, real I'm going to say accumulation of the interviews really came from the publication. So something I want to ask you, because interviewing, you know, myself podcasting, I find that 
it can be really nerve wracking. We can tend to put people on a pedestal without even meaning to. We can get on and get so nervous. Like, what are we going to ask these people? How are we going to make them feel special or important or get what we need out of them? What questions are, you know, should we be asking? What question is too deep? What's too light? What's too, I mean, we can get in our heads, right? So what do you do to just show up and allow them to really open up? Do you have a ritual around it? Or is there something that you do right beforehand to kind of just put yourself at ease and prep for a good interview? So it's a two-part answer because, you know, if somebody's listening to this and they want to start interviewing, I don't want to give them a false answer. Uh, You know, I don't want to send them in the wrong direction or mislead them. So I'll say when I first started, I was heavily prepped. I mean, I would go uh, to interview, you know, insert name here. uh, And and it could be, you know, one person business owner back then, obviously, when I was first starting, all the way up to somebody who has 30,000 employees. And I would bring my questions and I would, you know, read my questions in front of them. Uh, and now bear in mind, my earlier interviews were um, print interviews. So, of course, it's, it's a little different, right? It's like a journalist going. You can interview and, and have your questions, take notes. It doesn't matter. Uh, it's a lot different than obviously seeing freeform on a show. Mm-hmm. And so when I started out, I definitely was very, I won't say I was scripted, but I definitely had scripted questions that I wanted to stick to um, for the most part. And I was scared to even deviate. Uh, so my prep was make sure you stay sort of polished, if you will, and try to just stick to the script. And it wasn't a script, but that's kind of, you know, how I sort of, I'm going to say, but looking back now, Mm -hmm. that's sort of how I survived those early interviews. But now if I, and I'm going to, I'm kind of skipping a lot to say this, but if I fast forward to today, it's the exact polar opposite. So today, uh, let's say for example, um, I'm just thinking at the top of my head, uh, for example, let's say Jack Canfield. So Chicken Soup for the Soul, a lot of listeners probably know who Jack is. So when I was interviewing Jack, that was a pretty big deal. I mean, that's back, the first time I interviewed him was maybe four years ago. And I was told by his staff that he turned down nine out of every 10 interviews. Mm -hmm. And when my interview finally aired the day before he was on Oprah and the day after he's on Larry King Live. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty nerve wracking. And so they asked me for questions. Can you send us questions? And I said, the truth is, um, I can do so, but the questions will probably... I'll, I'll jump off script. Like, I'll, you know, if I, if I ask a question, let's, I'm just randomly saying, Jack, you know, you have a book called The Success Principles with 64 Principles. Um, what is the, what's the one most important one? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and he could say, well, there's 64, you have to do them all. Or he could say, well, here's the most important, even the most important. Well, that, those two different answers are going to take me in a different direction. Mm-hmm. One could stay in the script and one might not. So I kind of told them, this is kind of how I roll. And so I might not say the script. So we, they, did, they just said, well, don't bother sending the questions then. Let's just wing it. And so my, my answer, Lori, is that when I started, I was really scripted and stuck to the questions. And now it's not abnormal for me to go to an interview with a framework in my mind and no questions at all. Yes, so, I love that. <laughs> so it's flipped that much. I just did a, uh, I did a, it was at a conference where they brought me in to be the MC, but also the stage interviewer. And so I interviewed probably 20 business leaders in a matter of three days on the stage in front of an audience live. And I never had one question planned. Mm-hmm. So that's how far it's come the opposite way. But it took, obviously, we talked about 3,500 interviews mm-hmm. plus to get to the point where now I'm comfortable doing that. So, you know, I, I love the quote and, and I'll, I'll say I'll say I'll credit it to this name, Mark Little, who I shared the stage with early in my comedy career. But I think I've heard other comics say it. But Mark said it so elegantly. I'll share it the way he said it. I said, Mark, what's the one thing you think the average person doesn't realize about stand up comedy or stand up comedians? And he said, without missing a beat, he said, how much work goes into it to make it look like no work at all goes into it. Mm, yes. And, 
That's so that it's a lot of years of getting to the point where it makes it look like it's not as much work as it was once was. I love that you shared that because, you know, so many people do think, oh, it's a gift. People are just, you know, that's something that maybe they're, they just were born with and they just feel so comfortable up there. And truly, I mean, same, same thing when I started my podcast, it's just, I didn't know what I was doing. So I just stuck to a script until I realized, okay, you know, I'm going to try this one question or I'm going to go down here. I'm going to see how this feels. It's all just that first step and that first initial willingness, right? To see what else is possible if you kind of go off the beaten path. And that's when you realize, wow, this is really where the good stuff comes in. So then you're more willing to do it again. Um, I heard a, a quote recently just talking about if you can accept the worst that can happen in that situation, really you give yourself the absolute freedom to do anything. And it's, you know, what we say to ourselves afterwards. So that's been something I've really adopted. I'm like, you know what, if I say something wrong or if I offend or whatnot, or it's there's an edit button <laughs> especially in podcasting so okay that brings me to my next question um 3500 people in amazing influential people I looked over who you all got to interview and it's just like everybody that I'm also dying to interview um what is something that comes up a common theme between everyone do you have anything that's just really blaringly obvious yeah absolutely I'll share the top three and I'll work my way backward because you know, it's, it's obviously you want to leave the teaser to last uh, in my talks years ago, well not years ago, maybe three years ago when I first started this, uh, put together this talk called, uh, the, the secrets and well, I called it the timeless secrets of enlightened super achievers mm-hmm. when I first launched it. And I, I, I used to start from the first to the third and, and, and our first to the fifth and, you know, it only took me about a week to realize that doesn't make any sense, you know, because then they heard the most important one or the most common one first. Mm-hmm. Then they're thinking, well, I'm working my way backwards. I'm losing momentum. I'm losing anticipation as you go. Mm-hmm. So I switched it. So I'm going to do the same here. But uh, three, I go really quickly. The three most common traits uh, right now. I mean, it could change in another thousand interviews. But the three most common we've discovered is that the third is that these top influential leaders are extremely focused and to the extent that they go all in. So what do I mean by that? Uh, I decided to, and, w- and we documented all this, and we we basically, like Napoleon Hill, we went and, and added up, my assistant and I added up all the numbers and wanted to make sure what are the common traits. And one of the ones that surprised me, and this is the one, the most is that these top influential leaders, they don't try to multitask as much as everybody else. And, you know, I've, I've been quoted as saying, I want to make single tasking new sexy again. Mm-hmm. Because, it, you know, multitasking, I mean, can some people do it better than others? I think we have to all say probably yes. But are any of us really meant to do it? My opinion, based on what I've learned in the years since, is no. So these top uh, super achievers, they know how to say no to the things that won't get them closer to the purpose so they can say yes to the few things that will. Mm. And so doing that, what they do is they focus and they go all in. Uh, So uh, I used to just say they avoid the distractions, but we had a speaker on the show one time. His name is Mike Lipkin. And I asked Mike about this, and I said, does it surprise you? And he said, no, I think it's just that they go all in. And so that put a, a distinction in my head of the idea that yeah, they basically they go all in with their phone when they're with their phone. Then when they're with me, they go all in with me. And that's probably why when I'm with these people who are juggling so much, you know, juggling more things than some people humanly possible, they still somehow, if they're with me two hours, manage to make me feel like I'm the only thing in their world or life. And I never hear a phone ring. I never hear a buzz. So I have to say that that's one of the most common traits is that they have the ability to go all in and make the focus on whoever they're doing, you know, whoever they're with right now or whatever they're doing right now. So that's number three. Uh, 
Number two, and this probably won't surprise you, and it may be a common theme theme that you've discovered is what, and I, I term it this way, lifelong learners are leaders. Mm-hmm. So what I've discovered is the people that keep feeding their mind as much as they feed their body, uh, those are the people that seem to thrive. And Zig Ziglar, I think, said it best. And, you know, it was probably one of my favorite quotes to ask him about when I was, I mean, and I say I was lucky enough to interview him uh, before his passing uh, a couple of years ago. And we've done stuff with his family since. And I'm a massive Zig Ziglar fan. Anybody who knows me knows that I am. But one of his quotes that always spoke to me was that you can finish school, but that doesn't mean you should ever finish your education. And that kind of sums up what we've learned is that these top achievers realize you need to keep feeding your mind. And I'll go one step further and say we're in an information heavy wisdom light world now where we're bombarded with information, but we have to sift to get the wisdom. Mm. And what I've discovered is these top tier achievers, they know how to efficiently get to the wisdom quicker. They can find a way to get on Facebook for five minutes and get what they need from it versus the person that's stuck on Facebook five hours. Mm. doesn't make either right or wrong. But it's just they've efficiently learned how to do that. And I think that puts them in a better position whenever the information I've heard a quote saying that all the information online is doubling now every year. I don't know if that's fact or not, but we all know it's getting, you know, it's, it's definitely growing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if you can't keep up today, how are you going to keep up in five years time? So if you can figure out how to be more efficient than the other person when it comes to getting your wisdom, I think that's going to put you in a better position than the person that can't figure that out. So. Again, what I've discovered is these lifelong learners, these people that continue to learn are the people that are the leaders. And what's really cool as well, Lori, is that years ago it had to be reading a book. I mean, reading a book, reading the newspaper, talking to your nosy neighbor, you only had a few ways you could learn. But today we're so blessed because we have TED Talks, podcasts. There's so many ways to learn. As Brian Tracy said, you can turn your car into a mobile library. Mm-hmm. You know, So you can actually plug in now. You can even, even if you don't have a new car, you can get an FM transmitter from Best Buy for $35, plug it into your lighter, plug your phone into the other end, pick a station that has nothing on it, and start playing through your phone whatever you want to listen to. Mm-hmm. So we've never had more of a time to feed our mind than ever before. And again, so the common trait is that these top-tier achievers, they continue to do that regularly. Mm, awesome. And then if I, if I go to the first one, and, then, and, and, you know, and, and if you want to interject it all, let me know. But if you I go to the first one, if you want any questions on it, just let me know. But the first one is, and this is kind of my favorite. It's, it, you'll hear me talk about this more than anything else. It's passion. So they, I've, just, I've noticed that these top-tier achievers, and, and it's almost without exception. I mean, if I go to that 3,500, it's, it's like 99% of these, the people that have discovered how to thrive, they're living on purpose and they're living with passion. So they discover what they're put here to do. They know what their personal mission statement is. That's what I call it. Or you could call it their personal mission statement or their purpose statement. They know what it is, whether they have it written down or just know it intuitively. And they live every day accordingly. You know, uh, Bob Dylan, he had a great quote that said, um, uh, for him, passion, how you know that, what, how you define passion or if you're living with passion is if you go, get up in the morning and you go to bed at night and in between all you do is you love, that's living with passion. So what I've discovered is these top tier achievers, they spend the majority, the lion's share of their time living with passion and living their purpose. So those are the top three. Oh, I love all of those. Um, So as far as passion, I'm sure that you've dove into how they feed it or do they have a common ritual, like a morning ritual or a daily ritual that you found? So... You know, I guess if I'm, um, I'm thinking what, again, if I go to the common, what are the common things I've noticed that these uh, top tier leaders do? And I'll, I'll reference, I don't usually, you know, quote the same twice. We've done a lot of interviews, but I have to, I have to add this in. Jack Canfield is the person that at least I heard it through. 
Uh, he does something he calls his hour of power. Mm-hmm. And Tony Robbins has an hour of power too, but they're two totally different things. Uh, Tony's is, you know, an hour with Tony and getting you pumped up. And Jack's is an hour with yourself. So basically what Jack, and so when I say this too, Lori, is to tie it back to the question. I've noticed that a lot of these top leaders do what Jack is doing, whether they do it in the same way or different ways. And I think that's one of the things that fuels their passion. So what Jack does is he spends the first hour of every day before all of the interruptions come in. Uh, he spends 20 minutes meditating. So let's say feeding his spirit or feeding his mind, what have you. Uh, 20 minutes learning. Uh, so feeding his mind once again. 20 minutes exercising. So feeding his body. So he spends basically his first hour of every day doing that. And what's really cool is we all know exercise. We've heard the news that it's good for us. Um, the, we, I just mentioned about the power of feeding your mind. And then spiritually, whether you meditate or you don't believe in meditation and you pray, whether you just sit in silence, they say that uh, 15 to 20 minutes, I've heard this multiple times, of uh, meditation or deep thinking is equivalent to four, uh, sorry, four hours of deep sleeping. Mm-hmm. So if you think about doing all four of those, or so all three of those things for an hour before most people even get up and start their day, I think it probably explains why a lot of them are able to keep their passion alive throughout the day and avoid some of the interruptions. Uh, so I think that's part of what they do. And then the second thing, which is going back to the thing I mentioned about a passion statement or a purpose statement or a mission statement, uh, my mission statement is to be the guy who donates, motivates, inspires, entertains, and educates. So that's my five-point test. And so if somebody asks me to take on something, if it's only going to be one of those, then it's going to be an easy no. It's going to be all five. It's going to be an easy yes. And then in between, that's when I, you know, I have to think about it. But if it's three or more, it's usually a pretty easy yes. Well, what I've noticed is these, again, these people that live with passion have that in common in the sense that they figure out what are the things that are going to keep their passion alive, that are going to fuel their passion, that are going to help them serve a bigger purpose, and how can they do more of that during the day? And so for me, like I said, it's by knowing what my mission statement is and staying true to it and making sure I'm spending most of my time doing it, that helps me keep my passion alive. And then surrounding myself with other passionate people helps keep that going. And then, like I said, this hour of power helped me start in the right foot and set the tone in the right way so I'm not dealing with the negativity right from the jump when I get out of bed. So that would be kind of my quick answer. Mm. You know, I, I was reading a quote, and I cannot remember for the life of me who said it, but it was talking about how leaders say no or work through the tough stuff faster. So they just make the tough decisions faster. And I thought, you know, when you really look at that, it's, it's talking about how you were just saying, you know, staying really focused and knowing exactly what your purpose statement is so that every decision is not a, does this, you know, Oh, would this be fun? Or, Oh, am I, you know, this is some, an opportunity that can't be missed. We're always going to have those, especially when we set goals. So it's just, if it's not aligned and it's not moving you forward, it's, it's a no. And I just thought, you know, it's, that's the one thing I think why people get so stuck is just because it's so, it's not easy to say no. It's, you know, and everything else seems more fun. So if you can make the tough decisions faster, right when you know, is this in alignment or not, just say it, then you can move on to the next one and things don't pile up, you know? So what is one of your favorite, do you have a favorite lesson that you have learned just where you, after maybe an interview just got totally shifted and implemented it into your life? Yeah, probably. And, and again, this is top of mind. I'm sure there's literally, I guess I could probably say there's probably thousands yeah. of times when that's happened. As you know, when you're interviewing people that have traveled different paths than you, so many cool things come up. Uh, but if I go top of mind instantly, uh, we had a guy in the show, his name is uh, Robin Sharma. Mm, and him. okay, yeah. so Robin wrote, uh, I think it's, he's had 11 books now. He was voted the number uh, two guru in the world. 
behind uh, John C. Maxwell. And Robin's actually from my neck of the woods in Canada. So that's always kind of cool to see, uh, you know, how much he's been able to do being, and he's from a really small province in Canada. So it's just kind of cool to see how, you know, how many people he's been able to impact and influence. And so he shared a couple of things that made me stop and go, whoa, one was just that made me think. And the other one was, you know, how I made a change based on it. So the stop and think one was he said that most people, and he was referring to most people not discovering their passion. So he said most people uh, die at 20, but they wait till they're 80 to bury their own bodies. Mm. And he said, I call them the walking dead. Mm. You know, basically they're the, the purposeless zombies. And I mean, it's not to knock anybody. I mean, and you know, it's not to criticize anybody. It's simply that they haven't found their passion, but it's, it's really, he was lying. It's really sad to see what percentage, the high percentage of people that live their whole life and never find their purpose or passion. So that was kind of a whoa. And I and I've shared that since. So that was kind of a make you think. But if I, you know, if I look at what he said that I actually started implementing and it made me really reflect, uh, he talked and I think he was crediting, if I recall correctly, Warren Buffett, who he heard it from, but basically talked about reverse engineering your life by saying, who do I want to be sitting on that step, rocking the chair at 80? You know, what achievements do I want to have? What, what would I want my life to look like? And then what are the things I have to do, basically breaking down in the pies and reversing it? What are the things I have to do each year and each month? to become that person sitting on the chair at 80. I love that. Really working backwards. Cause a lot of times we just, we're such now people <laughs> what's happening now. What do I want to accomplish right now? We don't look and, and think that all of these little tiny things are really, um, shifting our world and creating who we are going to be and who we're becoming. So did you find Do you find any common blocks? Do you get that far asking them? What are the things that arise for them that really tend to either scare them or block them and how do they work through it? I guess one of the big ones that's come up is, you know, if you think about um, people that, let's say, they're, I'm going to say self-talk, even at the highest level. I mean, there, there's people, and, and you've probably seen this, Lori, who uh, are basically in their office, directing orders, directing traffic, maybe managing staff, speaking to a thousand staff members that talk themselves out of going on, let's say, on a media tour or speaking to the media. There's people that are in office as CEOs that will be able to impact so many more people if they're able to conquer their fear of public speaking. And, and really, it all comes back to that fear of and that self-talk. I, I say it's the fear of the unknown. You know, when you don't go on a stage, it's the fear of the unknown in most cases. So what could happen? It could be good or it could be bad, but I don't know. And I don't like being that uncomfortable. So I would say a big block for people is, well, the fear of rejection or the unknown but also the self-talk that comes along with that, them allowing themselves to talk themselves out of something that could impact their life and change their life in a positive way forever. I think that's probably the biggest block. Yes, for sure. That's amazing. All right. Anything else before we wrap that you want to share? Maybe some bit of wisdom that's come out of everything that you've done in the past, well, 20 years. Well, I, you know, I guess I would say, and, and I've kind of alluded to this already, but I'll, I'll back it up with a, a statistic. And I heard it a long time ago. I haven't looked for it since, but it was all online at the time. But I think it was the Charles Schwab Institute that did the study. And they, they basically uh, surveyed and, and interviewed and, and essentially studied the top 2% of North American CEOs to see what they had in common. And what they found is that they read an average of three or four of the right books every month. And you notice I say write books because, you know, you can read Harry Potter or Fifty Shades of Grey and you, know, you can, you know, you can learn stuff. You can, uh, you know, you stimulate creativity. Uh, you know, Harry Potter has helped more kids, they say, 
discover read again than, you know, almost any other book in the last 20 years. So I'm not knocking them. But in terms of if you want to grow your your expand your mindset, uh, you, you know, there's certain books, obviously, you know, it could be a think and grow rich that I mentioned or how to win friends and influence people. But they discovered that the top two percent of North American CEOs, the biggest thing they had in common is that they essentially read three to four books a month. And I would say this, that was an older study. I would say now you could say they learn X amount per month, you know, of hours per week, because it could be listening to a podcast, whatever that is. So what the, I guess the message I'd like to leave people with is make sure you're finding ways, whether you have an automatic system or you have a formalized system, but make sure to find a way to have a learning plan that you activate regularly. So make sure to find a way to feed your mind, whether it's podcasts, whether it's audio CDs, success magazine, TED talks, uh, shows like yours. Uh, interview, I mean, reading interviews in, in publications, whatever that is, books, find a way to feed your mind. Maybe it's just 20 minutes a day, like Jack does. I'm sure he does more than that, but at least 20 a day, uh, minutes a day, or maybe it's you have an hour a day, but find a way to dedicate time to learning. And I think you'll find that in the end of a year, you'll be blown away by how far you've come. Mm, amazing. Okay. Just because we're going to wrap, but I have to know, do you have any favorite books, maybe top two or three? Well, so I'll, I'll add a third one because I mentioned two. First book I ever read in my life, and this might surprise you, Lori, I was 27 years of age, my very first book. Uh, and I, I, the red book I read was Dale Carnegie. I mentioned How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I won't belabor the point as to why that book and how it pulled me in, but it pulled me in. Um, Think and Grow Rich, similar book, very big on storytelling, pulled me in. So if I add two more, since I've already mentioned those a couple of times, I'll add in probably The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Mm-hmm. Uh Love that book. Can't say enough good about that book. And um, and then I probably would go to uh, Robin Sharma, who I mentioned, uh, uh, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. Amazing. I love that book too. Okay. I just want to say I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for sharing all of this wisdom with us. My pleasure, Lori. And uh, I'd like to see, and I believe we're going to make it happen, us bringing you onto our show as well and, and getting to maybe flip the switch and, and ask you the questions of what you've learned from your experience with so many enlightened super achievers. Yes, I would love that. And Corey, I always end with a question. So I would love for you to let us know, okay, so you have an elevator ride. It's only about 30 seconds with someone and they look over at you and say, how can I make myself happy? What is your answer? Wow. Big question. Uh, and I'll, I'll try to give a big answer. It's I would tell them they have to if they haven't. So this is the big thing. If they haven't found their passion, they have to find it sooner than later. Um, so that's obviously it's a two part answer. Did they find their passion or not yet? But if they're not happy, I'm sorry to say it this bluntly, but I think they probably haven't fully found their passion yet. Mm. Because the people I've seen and I mean, I've as we know, I've spoken to a lot of them who are really happy, genuinely seem to be really happy. I mean, as long as, you know, what we can see in the surface and what they're telling us and what the vibe we feel and the energy we feel, they've discovered their passion. So it seems to be a common thread. So I would say you need to find your passion if you haven't yet. And then I only had the 30 seconds. I would tell them that's what to do. But I would say, and here's my card, if you want me to tell you some steps for how to do so. Because that would take more than a second. (laughs) It really would. I know. That's the quick answer. All right. So where can we find you? Where can we follow you? Probably the easiest answer to that would be two places. One is thepassioncure.com. And the reason I send people there is it has our it has our show there, our blog, but it also has the links to the social media channels that everybody connects through these days. And then also um, we launched a speaking program to help people launch speaking careers. 
about a month ago, and we're going to be relaunching again in the near future. So if they want to check that out in any way, shape, or form, it's simply thespeakingprogram.com. So I'd send them to those two places. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on today. And you guys, if you love this episode as much as I did, make sure you share it and share it with someone who needs it. Until next time, earn your happy. Bye, everyone. Thank you guys so much for spending this time with me on the Earn Your Happy podcast. I am so glad that you stopped by. If you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would love it, that would be absolutely amazing and we would be forever grateful. Also, please leave us a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving us an honest thought, an honest comment. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you want to hear more of. It would really help us out on our journey to helping thousands and thousands of people. Until then, don't forget to earn your happy. Thanks again, guys. Bye-bye. Hey, do you know what the big secret is this year? And it shouldn't be a secret because this should be your biggest focus. It is building your community. I am always working on building and nurturing my community and everyone is talking about the power of community without an online community you just cannot grow organically or create a real movement which is what i know that we're all after and you can build trust or monetize your audience when you get community right not only does your audience grow faster, but so do your sales. But where's everybody gonna be managing their communities these days? And a lot of online entrepreneurs and thought leaders are turning to circle.so. Circle is an all-in-one community platform. It lets you host content and create discussions, live streams, group chats, and memberships all under your own brand. And what's so cool about Circle.so is that you don't even need a website or Facebook group. Instead, Circle lets you build your own community site where you can host content and manage your members. You can even create locked and unlocked content spaces, groups, and classes. How freaking cool is that? You can put your content behind a paywall too, and you can charge different amounts of money for different spaces on your community site. Circle.so is famously easy to use, and it has a free 14-day trial for you, so you can go check it out, see if you like it, see if you love all the options. Just go to circle.so. Go check it out right now, you guys. Imagine being able to manage your community, start group chats and live classes, and accept payments all in one place. Kind of mind-blowing since this is usually spread all over the place. You have to log into so many different things. If this is the year to capture, organize, and monetize your community, head over to circle.so. You can get a free trial and start building your online community right now. Just go to circle.so. You guys, you get the 14-day free trial. So just go and see if it's for you. It's going to streamline everything and make your life so much easier. It's so freaking cool. Hey all, I'm so excited to share with you, Earn Your Happy is now part of Growth Day Podcast Network. A bunch of us are coming together to bring more growth to the world and support shows and brands that we truly believe in. And one of my friends is also on the network and I'd love for you to go subscribe to his show. You guys, Trent Shelton has the most incredible podcast. It's called Straight Up With Trent Shelton. And it's going to remind you that you are built 
for this. I have heard Trent speak in person multiple times. I've listened to his podcast a ton. He's coming on the show and I literally cannot wait because this man just spits straight fire. It is like truth that goes to your core and makes you take action right away. If you want one of those podcasts that when you're just out on a walk, you can't help but want to start running and run through a wall in your life, this is the show to go listen to. So you guys make sure that you go subscribe to the show straight up with Trent Shelton. You're going to love it. Want to know a huge secret to my success? Okay, not only my success, but just about every single person that I have interviewed on this podcast who is successful has this in common. You guys, they love to journal. They capture their life lessons and what they're grateful for. But a lot of people don't keep this up consistently. And most people do know that the research shows that journaling deepens your gratitude and increases self-awareness. But did you also know that journaling decreases stress and helps you achieve your goals faster? In fact, journaling is a huge differentiator between average performers at work and high-performing people. It leads to longer-term clarity, confidence, and success. So why don't more people journal? Why didn't I journal consistently? Honestly, they don't like staring at a blank page. It's hard to carry a book around with you or a notepad, and they just don't even know what to write about or they just forget. That's why I know that you're going to love Growth Day. It's the world's number one system for self-improvement and it's like all-in-one personal development in an app. And it has an awesome digital journal and people love it. Growth Day's digital journal has hundreds of research-backed writing prompts for self-reflection, positive mindset, confidence building, and success. I use them all the time and it makes me think in ways that I typically don't and it makes me ask myself better questions, which we all know gets better results in our life. It even has prompts that help you develop a daily, weekly, or monthly habit of reflecting on your life and identifying areas to grow. So it's a perfect time of year to start journaling, you guys. When you sign up at Growth Day, you also get systems for habit tracking, goal setting, and scoring and improving every area of your life. Best of all, I get to teach there too, you guys. I'm so excited. I hope that I get to see you. I teach live in Growth Day every single month with a new topic just for you. So join me there. Start your free trial at growthdate.com slash Lori.